Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. As Monty talked about and is, is well documented now in a couple weeks, we're doing a series of the next, for a seven-week series called Deep Roots, a series that is focused on us making room for the mission of God in our personal lives. And here's the deal. As our spiritual roots deepen, then what will follow that just naturally as a result of that Ministry expansion and facility expansion sort of takes care of itself. Monty mentioned last week that it's springtime at Fellowship, and we want to really follow God's lead during this time uh, of, uh, of expansive growth, spiritually and numerically. Uh, I love springtime. Matter of fact, Monty was prophetic. It's springtime outside today, February the 2nd. It feels like spring, and spring is one of my favorite times of the year. Can anybody guess why? Turkey said, that's right. See, I have trained you well. I thought this morning, man, them gobblers, they're they getting after it. It's an eight-week countdown from now. I'm counting every day down until turkey season opens. I love springtime. So during this uh, season of growth, during this springtime at Fellowship, we are asking ourselves some questions. What is the condition of our spiritual roots? And what ways do our spiritual roots need to deepen? Are we growing and maturing and bearing fruit that one would expect as a Christ followers? Uh, we look at this potted plant here. and We know uh, with a potted plant, if the plant is to grow bigger, the pot must expand. And so we look at that and we, we say, is the flower pot that represents how our, we live our lives somehow hindering our growth and our opportunities for expanded growth and influence? So these questions and the answers to these questions, both personally and corporately, are a big deal to us. They speak directly to this truth that Monty mentioned last week. If all we do is build a building, and not grow and change as a church body and individually, we have failed and we have failed miserably. So in light of that, as we engage this topic of deepening our, deepening our spiritual roots, is there any topic in all of Christendom where a church body and individuals need to grow and change than what? Prayer. Think about that. To actually learn to pray and to actually start praying God-centered, missional-oriented prayers that come from a deeper knowledge of who God is and what He has done. So in light of that, let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. <clears throat> Paul writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the, when 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, Paul says, to this end, with this in mind, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith in his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we really focus in on verses 11 and 12 this morning, uh, it is important to note uh, that Paul says in verse 11, with this in mind, to this end, that verses 3 through 10 tell us what he had in mind when he actually prays for the Thessalonians. Considering what, uh, what Paul says about prayer this morning, let me read this quote that sort of summarizes our whole text this morning. It's in your notes from D.A. Carson. The one thing we most urgently, urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. When it comes to knowing God, we are a culture of spiritually stunted. So much of our religion is packaged to address our felt needs, and these are almost uniformly anchored in our pursuit of our own happiness and fulfillment. God simply becomes then the great being who potentially at last meets our needs and fulfills our aspirations. We think rather little of what he is like, what he expects of us, what he seeks in us. We are not captured by his holiness and his love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination, too little of our discourse, too little of our priorities, and therefore capture way too little of our prayers. A lack of knowledge of God will give us a lack of biblical prayer. And so Paul addresses that this morning. As we think about uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul visited uh, that city, uh, Thessalonica, back in uh, AD 50. And uh, that city was famous. It's still famous today. Uh, but it was named after, if you want a little history here, after Alexander the Great's half-sister. How would you like a, la a name like that, ladies? No doubt. But if you want to learn how that church was reached and evangelized and how that church was planted, just go and read Acts, uh, Acts chapter 17. Maybe a good read for you this week. But as Paul prays here, he says, to this end or with this in mind, and then so we, in verse 11, so now we look back to verses 3 through 10, and we see what it is that Paul had in mind that drove his prayers for the Thessalonians. The first thing Paul does is he has gratitude for indications of grace in the lives of Christ's followers. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul's heart here is full of grace toward the Christians in this church. Uh, thankfulness, that makes sense to us because thankfulness in our hearts also is no stranger to us. 
And we thank God often for a lot of things, do we not? We thank God for our food, I would say, on a daily basis. How many of you do that at some point? Yeah. We thank God. Some of us thank God for a parking place up close to the store we're entering. Uh, certainly, uh, as I've been recovering the last few months, I've been thanking God for my health in a new and fresh way. Uh, we thank God for money to pay the bills. Uh, we ask, we thank God for traveling mercies. We uh, thank God to ask our kids to do good in the game, to not get injured. And look, I could go on and on and on. There's thousands of those, and and none of those are wrong. They are in line with Paul's words in First Thessalonians that says, "Pray without what ceasing." Yes. But if we're honest, and I'm asking us, this is what deepening our roots mean, I'm asking us and myself to be honest most of the time, if not a lot of the time, our gratitude and thankfulness via prayer is often connected to our own well-being and comfort. As one writer said, the unvarnished truth is that what we most frequently give thanks for shows what we most highly value. And that quote in truth exposes me to me. And part of us deepening our roots is being exposed to our own hearts. But here's what's beautiful here. Paul is asking the Christ follower to lift our eyes upward. Not to forget completely about the horizontal everyday things of our lives to give thanks to, but to now lift our eyes upward more than we have been. For the most part, lift our eyes upward. Paul does this in verse 3. He gives thanks that there are indications and signs and evidence of God's grace in the believer's lives in the Thessalonian church. He says, that these believers, he's given thanks that these believers' faith is growing, that their trust in the Lord is deepening. He also gives thanks in verse 3 that their love is increasing. Think about that. Paul's saying these believers, here's a sign of grace, they're not staying the same. No one comes to Christ and doesn't change. Like he's saying these, their love is increasing. They're making room for the mission of God in their own hearts for one another. And what's cool about that, and I don't know, I'm using cool for the youth. Is that still a word? Cool, cool, dap. Y'all, hold on, I ain't asked y'all to talk, right? Y'all come to me, Chad Vincent, that's your son. Y'all come to me, I'll teach you how to talk cool, all right? But that's enough, little Vincent. All right. So here, here's what I loved about that is I studied. This is actually an answer to Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, where Paul prayed in his first letter to the Thessalonian church. He prayed this, that their love might increase. And how about that? God actually is making their love increase as Paul prayed for I love this because it goes along with our theme of deep roots. The two verbs in verse 3, growing and increasing. Growing means an internal organic growth as of a plant, as if the pot has actually expanded. And increasing here, this verb means expansive 
are expanding like a flood. Two thoughts and themes we're talking about in this series of Deep Roots. Now, here's what we need to know. This is not some hallmark kind of feeling of love that you get when you watch those movies. I mean, they'll make you tear up quicker than about anything. This is the love of those who are disciples of Jesus. Where John 13, Jesus said the number one character trait of a follower for Christ is they will grow increasingly to love others. This is the love of what I thought about, the love of the church. Because the church is made up of rich and poor and learned and unlearned and disciplined and flighty and detailed and carefree and extrovert. Any introverts here? Yeah. Try marrying one, right? And you, you see how that works? White, black, Hispanic. And I looked at my elbows last night when I was studying. I thought, I'm freckled. You know, that's a whole nother race from ethnicity. <laughs> but here's what's happening. Their shared allegiance to Jesus because of his incredible love for them is what fuels their love for each other. Paul said this stuff is increasing. And then notice he used, actually used the word everyone. And you don't know this, but the Greek word for everyone, you know what it means? Everyone. How about that? This, I, I thought this is, when Paul says everyone, he's not known to be a liar or an exaggerator. I thought, man, this is why he's so grateful. This is the stuff of revival. When churches and folks in it start loving everyone more and more, the whole thing changes. It's a game changer. And notice in verse Paul 4, Paul also gives thanks that they're growing not only in their trust of the Lord and in love for one another, but they're doing that in the very midst of being persecuted for their faith. Probably uh, people raging on them, probably uh, beatings of some kind, probably being set aside and... and um, uh, taking advantage of, all kind of things going on here. But these signs of grace are so evident and so powerful that Paul actually uses them as an example with other churches that he's speaking to and engaged in. He says, you want to look for, you want to see what it looks like to have the grace of God active and working in the midst of a church body? Look at the Thessalonian church. Paul is so grateful for that. So this makes us ask the question, what have you and I thanked God for recently? Do we look for and pray for more and more signs of grace of believers that we know, even in particular in our own body? Is that's what drives our prayer life? That's the first framework of Paul's prayer when he said, with this in mind. The second one is that gratitude in the past grace and faith in future grace, verses 5 through 10. John Piper has called this passage the panorama of the Christian life. It's a big picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. The Thessalonian Christians are prepared and able to endure suffering because of two big reasons. Verse 10 gives us one. It says, because they believe the testimony of the gospel, they can endure persecution because they were actually saved. 
and because they are keeping their eye on the glorious kingdom of God that is to be revealed when Christ returns. Verse 7, which says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and then Paul repeats the same theme in verse 10, when he, Jesus, comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at all who have believed. So Paul says gratitude and past grace, this, this idea that when God saved you and this big idea of future grace, when Jesus returns, Paul's saying, I'm so thankful that these Thessalonian believers get this. And they get this and that, the past grace, and the future grace to come is what's given them perseverance in present grace as they endure suffering and persecution. Paul speaks to that suffering and persecution, and he says also says two things. One, he says, vindication is coming for those who believe in Christ and are enduring suffering and retribution and payback will come to those who have brought the suffering on the people of God. Paul's saying here that the promise of justice of God kicks in. He says, He will, God will, pay back trouble to those who trouble you. So in light of that truth, in light of the past grace, God saving them, the future grace to come, these Thessalonians, they, Christ followers, they were able to persevere even under the heat of persecution. Those two stakes in the ground held them firm. The proper response to the grace that you and I have experienced in the past, our salvation at that very point, is gratitude. And the proper response to the future grace promised to you in Christ's return is also gratitude. And that gratitude looks back to what God has done for you, past grace, and then looks forward to what God will do for you, future grace. And here's what happens in present grace. It is past and future grace that fuels you for godly living and godly praying. I don't know how to describe, and, and neither does John Piper. If he can't do it, I can't do it any better than that, than what fuels Godly living and godly praying. This is what Paul has in mind as he prays for the Thessalonians in verses 11 and 12. That the Christian in some way, maybe put it this way, that the Christian must reorient all of his life to these two big ideas. Past grace, future grace gives me the fuel and the power to persevere and, and live godly and pray godly in the present grace. I love how Piper puts this. He says, In our pragmatic materialistic society, where each of us seeks comfort, fulfillment, and respect, it is hard to follow a despised, crucified Messiah unless we fix our eyes on our past salvation and on our future home. If we do not remember God's past grace and do not aim for the new heaven and new earth, we also cannot expect to pray as we ought. So again, Paul is saying here, lift your eyes upward, lift your eyes to eternity, and that's going to help just how you live and pray. So now we get back to this same phrase. To this end or with this in mind, Paul says, 
with this in mind, in light of what I said in verses 3 through 10, we always pray for you. The foundations of Paul's prayer are laid out in verses 3 through 10. So in light of that, we ask this question, what kind of prayers then should we be bringing before God? The first one, Paul lays it out for us. He says the first prayer is to pray that the Thessalonians, and obviously us as well, would be worthy of our calling. Now I love this. This word worthy in verse 5 and used again in verse 11 does not mean that we are now to make ourselves worthy or somehow become worthy enough to earn our way to be called. Because if the scriptures make anything clear, it is you and I are unworthy, we are undeserving. So this worthy is a declaration that those who are saved are now worthy because Christ at the point of salvation made them worthy. That God's grace to them in Christ made them worthy already. When, God, when Paul uses this phrase, when God called us, it is a synonym for the term saved us. Called and saved us is the same thing. Or literally the word means summoned. When God summoned us from death unto life, when God summoned us from being an orphan to a son or daughter of the living God, He is now also calling us to live, and this is what Paul is saying, to live a life worthy of that already being called. That God is active in our lives and is working to close the gap between what we were when he called us, which was spiritually deaf and dumb and blind. None of us got it. And what we should be in the present and what ultimately we will be or shall be in our future grace. I want to be clear. This calling is not an invitation. Theologians describe this call as effective. And that word effective means that when God calls a person, it does exactly what he intends it to do. It saves the person. It's an irresistible call. Romans 8, 30, Paul writes it this way. And those whom he predestined, he also what? Called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Which means in Christ, God now sees us just as if we've never sinned and just as if we've always done what's right. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Meaning future grace with him. I want you to think. Uh, to, to illustrate this point, just think about the person who's writing these words in 2 Thessalonians. It's Paul. If anybody understands the effective call on a person's life to save them, it's Paul. Because at the very moment that he was raging against and persecuting Christians and ripping them away from their families and putting them in jail. It was that very moment that God spoke to him on the road to Damascus and called him to himself. Game changer. God's grace is powerful. So here's what Paul does now. Paul prays that he and them 
in us would live up to that calling that these Thessalonian believers might grow and mature. They might grow and mature, as D.A. Carson says, in all things that please God. They are learning and growing in all things that please God. Paul prays that the Thessalonians in us will become what we were not, and we will become all it means to be a child of God. He's really praying for more and more. Think about it. Indications of grace. Paul's praying for more and more signs of grace in this believer's life as they grow and mature in Christ. If you and I have truly trusted Christ, meaning there's been a point in time where you've placed your trust in Christ by faith alone for salvation alone. When we stand before the Lord, the question won't be, are you saved? That's been settled. For us who are believers, the questions will be, what have you done with the salvation I gave you? How have you responded to the way I graciously called you to myself? Did you, believer, live up to that calling? I know those are hard questions. But those are questions, if we answer them truthfully, will deepen our spiritual roots. And we'll be so glad they did. I saw a quote this, I love quotes. John Chad called me the quote pastor this week when I had a quotes all over my uh, notes. But a quote that spoke about how holiness and happiness are deeply connected for the believer. As we grow and mature, I am at my happiest when I'm most closely obeying the Lord. Paul asked these questions here. And because we cannot, here's the deal, we can't white-knuckle this kind of heart change and life change. We can't just try harder. Paul's saying, Thessalonians, just, just try harder. No, he's not saying that. Paul's saying, by prayer to God, help us. God, would you do a beautiful, sanctifying, Christ-honoring work in us. So we asked the question this morning, when is the last time you prayed this kind of prayer for your family, for your community group, for your church, even for yourself to be worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus? Secondly, here's what Paul does. He prays. Two, by God's power, make room for the mission. In the Greek, that's what he's saying, okay? He's using the same language we did. How about that? Pretty smart fellow. Let me show you, though, it's true. Make room for the mission. Verse 11, he says that, you may, that they may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Paul prays that the past grace... And the future grace given to the Thessalonians will in turn literally change not only how they live, but what they live for. Paul's praying here that the core purpose of their past lives, whatever that is, that, that core reason that gives their life meaning and purpose, Paul is praying that that core purpose will fade into oblivion and now will be overtaken 
by new purposes, new goals, new plans. No matter what your vocation is, it has nothing to do with your vocation. But what they live for will change because of that past grace and future grace. And it changes, obviously, right here in the present grace. So if we're speaking to us, we would say, this kind of grace has so transformed us that we now start to make room for the mission. We start to ask the questions. Are there neighbors and co-workers and friends that I can share the gospel with? We start to think about, God, could I start a Bible study with fill in the blank? I remember coming to Christ, and I remember not long after that as the guy discipled me thinking, man, my whole team, and you got you to remember now, I lived in Belt Dorm with 120 Division I college football players. It was a den of sin. Started thinking, could we have a Bible study? How about loving on that elderly lady that you know's husband just passed away and she's all alone? How about open your home if you have teenagers to feed? Teenagers like food, right? Pizza. Five, what's that place that sells five dollar pieces? Yeah, I'll, I'll feed. That's that's the highest quality you're getting at my house, right there. <laughs> feed your kids, friends, teenagers, hoping to connect with them, hoping to to get an insight to them, hoping to be a home, a refuge. I'm telling you, many of them don't have. How about to serve somewhere in the church, teaching the Burr Road, disciple a young believer. Decide to read your Bible daily for a year. How about to ask someone to actually disciple you? And Monty mentioned marriage this morning, to get your marriage right. Lord, pray for your marriage, that you would be intentional for that. That as Christians, Paul's saying, we now have spiritual-minded purposes that usurp everything else in our lives. That we are making room for the mission And here's what Paul does. Paul prays for them is that God himself would empower and bring these purposes to fruition, to completion. You can't do everything, but you can can do your one of two things. And everybody doing their one of two things. If God calls them, thinking about how do I prioritize the mission, and and to prioritize the mission, you're going to have to cut something that's not a part of the mission. Paul prays God himself would empower and bring these purposes to fruition. Paul is really repeating what the psalmist writes in Psalm 27.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. So this kind of prayer makes us ask questions like, what are our core goals and purposes for our lives? What are our priorities? What should we be attempting for Christ? Thirdly, Paul prays for these Thessalonian believers that they would glorify the Lord Jesus, that they'd be counted worthy or to be counted worthy of our calling and that our good, faith-filled promises will bear fruit is awesome. They're biblical, they're right, they're true. But Paul's saying here, they're not ultimate. 
ultimate end is that Jesus be glorified in the maturity and faithfulness and fruitfulness of his followers. I remember as a young believer, I heard Tony Evans say that glorify is, is, is uh, just another way to say to put makeup on God and make him look good. <laughs> That's what Paul's praying for here. But here's a danger in that. I love this quote. It says, It is always a wretched corruption of our goals when we want to win glory for ourselves instead of for Him. Our human hearts are so twisted that when we're trying to glorify the Lord by being faithful and fruitful, we have a tendency to glorify ourselves. We're all in danger of that. So Paul prays here that because of their growth and missional endeavors that they would be thought well of in the Roman Empire. Did you catch that? No, he doesn't pray that. He prays that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified. So I ask this question for all of us. When is the last time we prayed like that? And then lastly, Paul prays that they and we would be conformed into the image of God. Verse 12, that we'd glorify the Lord Jesus and you in him. For God's people, he's saying here, to be glorified in Christ is really speaking of this transformational lifetime process of sanctification and what God wants to do between this first stake of past grace at your salvation and this last stake of future grace and your going home time. And in between that, Paul is praying here that you and him would be conformed to the very image of his beloved son in present grace. Paul's really praying here, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. There's no staying the same. It's marching forward. So I asked the question, when was the last time you prayed for this? That, Lord, you would conform me you would conform our church. You would conform those who know Christ into his very image. Those are God-centered, missional-centered prayers. N nothing wrong with these thankful prayers that, 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 that we all do. Like, pray without ceasing. We can thank God for every good gift. But man, when you get down to this, this is brass knuckles here, folks. This is this is makes calluses on your knees. This makes your heart beat. This makes your eyes tear up. This is, this, this is close to the very heart of God himself. And Paul lays that out for us here in 2 Thessalonians 1. This week, I read a story about a lady named Florence Chadwick. 1952, she stepped off the beach of Catalina Island into the water, and she was determined to swim to the main line of California, or mainland of California. It was a distance of 22 miles, and look, she was an experienced swimmer. She had uh, swam the English Channel both ways, and so she had a lot of experience. It wasn't outside the realm of her possibilities, and, but on that morning, it was foggy, and it was cold, and uh, she could barely, let alone see the mainland where she was swimming, she could barely see the boats that went along beside her to save her from drowning. And as she swam, she begged nearly from the beginning, after a few hours, that her trainer would take her out 
take me out, she said. And the trainer said, man, I can't. I can't take you out. You, you're close. Just keep going. You can do it. And sort of humorous at one point, she just turned over and back. She said, I'm done, right? So they pulled her into the boat, and the trainer told her, we're less than a half mile from shore. She just couldn't see it. The next morning, she did an interview with the local newspaper. They asked her what happened, and she said, I think I could have made it if I could have seen the shore. Two months later, she proved her point. On a bright and sunny day where she could see the shore the whole time, she swam 22 miles with no problem. I want to tell us that the heart of living and praying must be this biblical vision that we've spoken of this morning. A vision that embraces who God is, what He has done. We must see clearly what He has done past salvation. We must see clearly who we now are Him during present grace, where we are going, future grace, and what you and I must value and cherish, what is near and dear to the very heart of the God we serve. And is this vision and this clarity that drives us toward Christ's likeness. It drives us toward the lives lived in light of eternity. It drives you and I to live outside of our comfort zone, to make room for the mission of God that's, that's outside of the norm. It drives us not to coast spiritually. It drives us to deepen our roots. It drives us ultimately toward prayer lives that mirror this very vision. So that the things that most concern the heart of God are the things that we most pray about. Does that make sense? And is we'll persevere in this until we go home. Man, after, after thinking about and wallowing in this text of week, all week I have prayed more. My heart has been more aligned more in those prayers with God. And it is so true. If all we do is build a building and not grow and change as a church body, we have failed and failed miserably. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute. And uh, as we uh, ask the question, so what? Uh, maybe as you think through this to... To, you know, I, I gave you a lot of questions this morning to take a few of those and begin to ponder uh, uh, what are the next steps for me? What is it about my praying and living that those roots need to deepen in terms of who God is and what drives Him and His heart toward us? Take a minute to ask the question, so what?